Hey guys, this is my leak. This is the My Taught You podcast, and I have a very special guest for you today. Today's guest is Nija Kirkendall, Senior Vice President of Production at Warner Brothers Pictures, where she is currently in production on the films A Star is Born, starring Bradley Cooper, who is so cute, Lady Gaga, uh, is it Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, starring Alicia Vic. Vikander, I think that's how you say it. Um, in her time at Warner Brothers, Kirkendall has worked on movies such as Stephen King's It, Kong Skull Island, Guy Ritchie's King Arthur, um, Legend of the Sword, Everything, Everything, as well as Magic Mike XXL, The Lego Movie, Edge of Tomorrow, Argo, Contagion. Um, Nyjah is a graduate of Brown University and began her career as an editorial associate in corporate communications for Viacom in 2004. Kirkendall moved home to LA to work in film as a development assistant for Beacon Pictures. She then moved to 20th Century Fox as a creative executive before joining Warner Brothers Pictures in 2008. Nyjah has been profiled as one of Variety's Hollywood's new leaders, Glamour, Ma Glamour Magazine's 35 Under 35 Women in Hollywood, and Essence Magazine's 13 Power Players in Hollywood. Um, she is a member of the American Film Institute's Women Executive Circle, a board member of the Emma Bowen Foundation for Multicultural Interest in Media, and a member of the executive branch of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Nyjah! <laughs> my Hi. goodness it's like, what a what a life you've what a life you've led sounds so official I know, I, every, I know every time I read people's bio they're always like oh is that me and I'm like yes this is you <laughs> okay before we get into this um I have to tell everyone listening that Nyjah and I first met I think in the fourth grade in Inglewood yeah. at Good Shepherd Lutheran School. And Nyjah, one thing I remember about you is that you always, always had a book with you. And I was, you know, like a super bookworm back then. But I, I just noticed like, and I felt like you were always reading like advanced things. So are you still that, are you still like constantly reading like you were in the fourth grade? Uh, absolutely. I mean, really? now, but now I don't, get a chance to read as much for pleasure and it's quite enjoyable and a treat when I do get a chance to read for pleasure because right. my part of my job is I'm reading screenplays books anything that needs to be consumed to be considered for a movie so okay. you know that that's my job is to consume culture popular culture stories and figure out what could or could not be you know potential for a movie Got it. Okay. So I read lots of screenplays <laughs> and lots of books. <laughs> right, right. Okay. So your current title, Senior Vice President, Production at Warner Brothers, um, as someone who maybe has watched, maybe watches one movie a year, what exactly would you say that you do? Like, for me, I don't know. Sure. So my, my job, I'm, I'm very similar to a producer, but on behalf of the studio. So my job is to look for ideas scripts you know remake potential you know anything pitches anywhere where there is an idea a story idea and hire writers to write a screenplay of that I work with the writers to develop the screenplay and, and make the best screenplay that we possibly can can get once the screenplay is ready I'm the person who is meeting and advocating and, and hiring directors to direct the okay. movies Oh wow! Um, once we, once I have advocated for that movie with my bosses and my leadership, and I've been given the green light or the go ahead to make the movie, I'm working with my colleagues to figure out. 
budget, the right location, the right schedule, all of the things that go into making a movie and prepping for a movie. Once a movie's in production, I oversee production, meaning I'm not on set the whole time, but I am here in the office, I watch dailies, I watch footage, you know, okay. all the footage that's shot on set every day. Um, wow. I, I often visit set, and my job is just to make sure everything's going smoothly, everything looks looks great, quality control, make sure my director feels supported, make sure all of my filmmakers, my whole team feels supported, translate what's going on on set to my leadership here at Warner wow. Brothers. Um, and then once a movie's in post-production, I am the person who will see a cut of the movie along with a few of my colleagues and give notes to the director on the cut of the movie. So oh, wow. I'm kind of like a project leader from the beginning to the end of the movie in terms Got of just it. making a movie. Um, okay. Yeah. Does that all... No, that was that, that really helped me to understand that like, OK, you you like you said, you're spending a lot of your days reading screenplays and then you find something that you like and then uh, and then you start the process of like who will direct mm -hmm. this. Do you work with the writers too? do do they I, I would feel like they would have somebody in mind already. But is that your decision or is that like a we make this decision together? It, it usually starts with the writer in the screenplay. Okay. okay. Um, and, and sometimes a director will come in with an idea, with the writer, you know, the whole thing will come in and I will say, oh, I love this. I want to do this with you. But mo more often than not, it starts with the writer. It starts with the writer's idea. It starts okay. with the writer's screenplay. And the idea grows and evolves from there a director okay. comes aboard usually once a screenplay already has been through several drafts and you're already excited about the script then yeah. you go out and you look for a director um okay. there's there's also several directors who are writer directors so they write their own material okay okay that that's helpful but okay i'm gonna take some steps back and this is uh known as a career podcast and i think a lot of people that listen to me they may be in college right now so i want to know what did you go to college for like i i just did a my last podcast talked about how i think it's more than half of the people who graduate college don't do what they went to school to do so what did you go to college for <laughs> Uh, not this, <laughs> but you know, it's actually not that far off the mark. As you okay. mentioned, I was a huge bookworm growing up. <laughs> yes. I was a total nerd. I, my nose always in a book. I loved everything. Mm -hmm. um, I love stories. I love people. I love stories. And so when I went into school and I, I, I also was a photographer and artist oh. growing up, I was editor of school newspaper, photo editor of school newspaper in high school. Okay. I was a photographer for the school newspaper in college. I was very visually driven. Um, and so when I entered into college, I went to Brown University. When I started, I thought I wanted to be a photojournalist and documentary filmmaker. My major, okay. I was doing a double major in anthropology and media studies. And okay. I had a I had an advisor, her name is Lena Frizzetti, who's a professor at Brown. And she was an anthropology professor and she did work on gender issues and studies in India and she would write books and do her research but she'd also create these films and make documentaries and I kind of wanted to do something like that where I was I was very much into like National Geographic growing up and I, I thought I was going <laughs> to be this like world traveler you know mm -hmm. taking photographs of cultures and people and, and creating documentary films when I you know dug deeper into a specific issue or culture okay. um, so that's what I thought I was going to do oh and so what happened after that? So you graduate. So what actually happened is okay. um, about the, towards the end of sophomore year of college, 
I um, took an independent study on black women filmmakers because oh, wow. all throughout the first like year and a half, I was taking media studies classes at Brown. It's called Modern Culture and Media. And there were all these classes on film theory and it was very interesting, but it was all, I was reading all about Lacan and Freud and all these white mm-hmm. European male theorists. And we were studying classic Hollywood cinema and European cinema. And um, it was fascinating, but at the end of the day, I didn't feel like it really related to me as a black woman. So I had the opportunity to do an independent study with a few other classmates, and we studied black women filmmakers, and I saw Daughters of the Dust, which is a film made by Julie Dash, written and directed by Julie Dash, and I saw that movie and fell in love, and felt like the movie is about um, the Gullah culture. The Gullah Islands are islands off the coast of South Carolina and Georgia. And we're able to retain a lot of their African traditions and culture and language um, from being slaves, you know, off the slave ships wow. because they were so isolated on the island. So it, the movie is a, this this melodramatic, uh, wonderful movie about a family that is about to migrate north and um, all these different dramas happening in the family. And I saw that movie and thought, wow, this is like everything that I am interested in in one piece of work. It's anthropology. It's a study of a people in a very specific place and a culture. It's it's visually beautiful. Um, you know, they managed with that movie to, to shoot black skin in a way that hadn't really been shot before. It was just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous shooting. Um, okay. And it was stories, a great storytelling. And uh, as we all know now, I'm a huge fan of stories and grew up loving reading and stories. So um, I felt like, wow, like this is amazing. And I started thinking if feature narrative, if I do feature narrative or study feature narrative, I can kind of study anything I want through feature narrative. I don't have to be bound by reality, which you are when you're doing documentary or journalism. you know, I can, I grew up reading The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Like I can, I can study a certain issue through the lens of science fiction. You know, Mm -hmm. I can study a certain issue through the lens of a true story if I so choose. You know, um, I can kind of do whatever I want. The sky's the limit with feature narrative. So I actually started focusing on that and studying um, feature narrative through the lens of black women filmmakers, anthropology, African-American studies. I ended up doing my own concentration, mixing several disciplines, um, and ended up doing my thesis as a comparative study between Julie Dash and Gloria Orlando, who's an Afro-Cuban filmmaker focusing on um, Afro-Cuban culture. So that's what I ended up doing in school. At the time, I also received a fellowship to get my PhD. And so I was leaning towards an academic route where I was gonna go and continue doing that type of study Mm -hmm. in, in grad school. Um, and just write and study and watch movies and theorize <laughs> and be a nerd, which I'm it perfectly was, happy doing. <laughs> right, right. But obviously things took a turn. Yes, things took and, a turn. So I, I graduated um, and ended up taking, deciding to take a few years off of school before going to start my grad work um, okay. because I wanted to just work and make money and be an adult. And all my right. friends were moving to New York City. I wanted to move to New York City. Um, <laughs> and so I took a little bit of time off from the fellowship and okay. ended up getting a job at King World CBS International in New York, assisting the president. Um, I got that job because all throughout undergrad, I was an intern here in LA at ABC Entertainment through the Emma Bowen Foundation for Multicultural okay. Interest in Media, which is a, a 
scholarship internship program that places students in media companies all around the country. And it's an internship and the company also matches what they pay you to oh, put into wow. a scholarship fund for college. So so ABC greatly helped with Brown. Um, <laughs> and, but I had no interest in being an, a television executive. I okay. would come, I would float throughout comedy, drama, movies and minis, you know, broadcasting standards. I learned a ton. I got to read scripts. It was really interesting to me, but really it informed my studies in terms of storytelling. Um, okay. I still didn't, I didn't really, even through that experience, I wasn't like, I'm going to be an executive, you know, okay. but it was an amazing experience. Um, and when I graduated that program, someone on the board of that program actually helped me get the job at King World CBS International. Okay. So, so I did that okay. first job. I did that for about six months and I got laid off. <laughs> <gasps> My boss took early retirement, so my position was eliminated, but they came wow. to me and they said it was, a, it was a very interesting lesson to learn just out of college mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, that's, that's life. That's a part of this world. Right, things right. happen. In six months. See, exactly. Um, and you got to, you know, you kind of have to roll with the punches and always evolve your plan. Um, so they came to me and they said, listen, don't worry. We love you. We, okay. we think that you'd be a great fit somewhere here in Viacom. Viacom owns, you know, King World TBS. So okay. just, just sit tight. We want to pitch you around the company. And they did. And I ended up getting a job in corporate communications for Viacom corporate as the editorial associate, um, of, of Viacom corporate communications reporting to the spokesperson. So I was a, an assistant slash writer. I would write shareholder newsletters I would write speeches okay. first drafts of speeches okay. kind of whatever little writing I would also just assist and help you know my boss who was one of one of the spokespersons of Viacom and okay. it was a really exciting job that I actually ended up doing for several years um, yeah, okay because Viacom owned owns MTV BT right. CBS Paramount all mm -hmm. these companies. Wow. So for a minute, I had like a great little life. <laughs> I had an apartment in Brooklyn. I had this oh, great yeah. job where I had access to, because we were corporate, we had access to all the different divisions. I had friends at MTV. Yeah. I, um, I had friends kind of all over the company. And it was really exciting, you know, to be in this kind of fast paced environment. Um, yes. But, but shortly, a year or two into that, uh, and by this time, I had decided not to go back to school. Okay. A year or two into that, I got really unhappy because I wasn't creative enough. I was writing okay. about Paramount and the movies they were making. I was writing about what MTV. You. But I wasn't there. I felt like I was on the outside looking in. <laughs> I was. Right. I always had ideas. I would go down to MTV and like pitch them show ideas. <laughs> um, you know. Right. So, so after a while, I kind of just started. Um, just as a hobby mm -hmm. and for creative a creative outlet I started doing film criticism and writing film reviews for an online magazine called blackfilm.com okay um, and really I did it for free I got mm -hmm. I got into movies for free I got to see things before they were released I was happy so right. I started writing the film reviews through that I met Chica my dear friend yes. Chica who yes, yes, became who Chica. you know who yes. became um a junior executive for Killer Films, which was a production company, well-known production company in New York City that at the time had just made Boys Don't Cry, an Oscar-winning okay. movie that I had seen and loved. So okay. we became really close through writing 
these film reviews together and going to these movies together. And she one day said to me, why don't you come and do script coverage for us, which is basically a almost like a book review for a screenplay. Okay. So you, you read the script, you write what it's about, you write the synopsis, and then your opinion. So okay. I started doing that on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then somehow through that, I ended up meeting someone who worked for Lee Daniels. And okay. he had not become a director yet. He was a producer at the time, and he was in post-production on The Woodsman. And mm-hmm. I started doing script coverage for them um, and met and got to know Lee really well and I, so I was still, I still had this corporate full-time job, coverage, but on the side, and on the side, I would yes. either go uptown to Lee's office in Harlem and mm-hmm. do intern, do script coverage, or I go downtown to killer films in Soho and do okay. script coverage. Were you getting paid for any of the no. side stuff? No, you don't, and not getting paid, but just, by the way, didn't have a plan. Just loved this world, right? Right. And loved right. being able to see the world and being able to read scripts and being able to see movies for free and being a- being able to hear like the conversation and the dialogue about movies. I just loved. I didn't okay. have like a, a a plan yet, right? Right. Um, okay. So, so I started to think this is what I want to do. I want to produce. Um, so I started to go up for jobs uh, that were creative and in film. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I went up a few times to be a director's assistant. I, okay. I I went up for a job to be a development assistant at Miramax, I remember. There okay. were a few of those types of jobs that would pop up. But New York City has um, a great but very small film community. It's really in Los Angeles. Right. Um, so... So I really was hitting a lot of roadblocks in terms of finding an actual paying job in this world and getting very discouraged because I would go up for these jobs and they would say, well, you've been several years at Viacom and corporate communications. You're perfect for marketing. And I'm oh, like, gosh. I don't want marketing. I want, if I want right. marketing, I would stay where I am. You know, I have a right, great job. Right, um, right. So I would get really frustrated. Um, and so I just more and more started to just explore and do more on the side you know Mm -hmm. after work and on the weekends I would do production work on the weekends I was a production assistant um, for a few productions that came to New York and and that would pay me extra cash Um, I volunteered for the Tribeca Tribeca Film Festival a few few times okay Um, so I was just hustling just trying to figure out how do I get my foot in the door so after a few years of that uh, I through all of that met Effie Brown who's an amazing producer and she called me up one day because I would always see her and we would like riff and I would pitch her my movie ideas and my TV ideas and I always had ideas for stories and so one day she called me up and said the Sundance Directors Lab is looking for a PA oh it's wow in Sundance Utah it's for the summer it's not a job because once it's over it's over right. um, they'll pay you they'll pay you a per diem and they provide room and board so you really have to consider this because you'd have to leave your job for a little bit you and, know and not have a job when it's and over not have a job when it's over <laughs> and I really wanted to do it so okay she, she and she was like this is an amazing experience for someone like you who's interested in film it's an amazing experience and it's hard to get in to do that so right. I can get you in think about it let me know And so I thought about it and I really wanted to do it, but I am the responsible kid who knew she had to have a job when she graduated from college. Right. You know, so I, the the thought of leaving a job without a job was not, did never cross my mind. I went to my boss and I said, 
could I get a leave of absence? Because there's this opportunity that I would love to go experience. It's not a job. I'm not looking like I'm not out there to go get another job. It's in Utah, but I would love to experience this. My boss knew I was interested in the creative side of things um, and was really supportive of me. Um, And she says, you have, and I had seen other people take leaves of absences in corporate. So I was just very young and naive even asking for it. (laughs) Because now I think back and I was like, Like, wow. What was I thinking? Right. You're like, um, let me talk to you for a second. Okay, so just give me just give me a few months off. Right. Right. To do something not related to this. Right. Right. Um, Right. So to her credit, um, she was amazing to me and is still a friend. Um, To her credit, she did not laugh in my face, but she did say, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love you. You have this job as long as you want it. You're great. But, you know you're too young to compromise. Like you have to choose. I'm not going to give you a leave of absence. You have to make a decision. You can stay here if you want, or you got to like do your thing. And in that room, I said, well, I guess I quit. (laughs) (laughs) So I quit. Okay. Wow. Without expecting to, without intending to. So I call my parents to tell them I quit. My dad is like, you know, Sumner Redstone, you're working your way up the corporate ladder. What are you doing with your life? Like, (laughs) right. Completely like what you're crazy. What are you doing? That was crazy. Yeah. It was that crazy. Was crazy. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? It was crazy. But once I did it, it there was no, I did not right. look, I right. did not look back. It, I did not second guess myself once I did it. I didn't expect right. to do it. But once I did it, I was like, all right, I'm going to Sundance. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I did. And I loved it. I loved oh. it. Because you spend your days, you know, you eat, breathe, talk, smell, everything is film everything is story everything is creative um and you're there with other people who are very like-minded and um it was quite amazing as an experience and so i i go through that experience and i come back to new york um and i go see a a mentor of mine um who at the time was the head of paramount in in new york and through my years at viacom i had gotten to know her because i think we sat next to each other at a luncheon Okay. And she was this cool older woman. She had leather pants on. And mm-hmm. I remember being like, this woman looks really cool. Like, I love her leather pants. <laughs> and <laughs> right. I introduced myself to her. And she ends up being, she's the New York, she runs the New York Department of Paramount. So I would just go and hang out with her and, you know, really just ask questions about just storytelling and the film business, you know, every couple of months. And so we developed a, a great relationship over a few years. And when I finally made this this jump and came back from Sundance I went to see her and she's like you have to move back to LA and um, so I make the decision to go back to LA and she says when you get there um, here's someone I want you to reach out to he's like a son to me and his first job in the movie business was as my assistant he'll be like he'll be your brother and so I reached out to him and he said I just so happened to be changing companies and I'm looking for an assistant Um, send me your resume and he sends me two scripts to read and I give him my opinion. I do a little write up on both scri- both scripts and he okay. basically says like, I love your resume. I love your background. Um, I love your, your ideas. Uh, okay. I would love to work with you. So when can you get to LA? And so like, I was like immediately next week, <laughs> <laughs> although I had not booked a flight, but right. Right. So I make my way back to L.A. and I end up starting at Beacon Pictures as an assistant Um, end up being there for about two years. My second year there, my boss, who is amazing and was a great, great 
support and mentor of mine. Um, my second year there, Bring It On All or Nothing came up, which is a straight-to-DVD movie. Okay. And everyone was too busy to deal with this small straight-to-DVD movie. That's like the cheerleader thing, right? It's the cheerleader movie, okay. yeah. Okay. And, and I yes. think they're on, like, Bring It On 10 now or something like that. I don't even know. <laughs> okay. it's, 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 it's a very successful cheerleader movie. Okay, um, okay. So it was the third movie. It was going straight to DVD. It was an $8 million budget. He basically went to the president of the company and said, we're also busy working on these big, huge budget movies. Um, someone needs to oversee this. Why don't you let Nyjah do it? She's smart. She's responsible. She won't fuck up. She can report to both of us on this. She'll still be on the desk dealing with my stuff. But right. I think she can do it. And she's the closest to the audience, being young, female, being of color. The, you know, the movies are very multicultural, which is the great thing about the movies. Right. Um, let her let her run with it and they say yes so I wow. ended up being the executive on the movie for my company and worked closely with That's Universal um, wow. and I'm still an assistant so it's right. really stressful right because I'm trying right. to hire a writer to write the script I'm trying to hire a director I end up being on set I oversee this movie from beginning to end and okay. I they give me at the time a Blackberry <laughs> and <laughs> I'm yes Confirming lunches. That's how you date yourself, right? Like, yeah. yeah. But, but um, I think in, in the game, like once you got a BlackBerry, you oh, were yeah. like moving on up. Oh, for sure. Um, but definitely date yourself. But before you, so eight million dollars is considered low budget. Low, well, for that, sort of. Uh, for that, um, that was a high budget for straight to DVD. Okay, but that's they, what I, okay. They they considered that title, and I think they're still making them. So it clearly, you know, it's quite lucrative for them but they considered that title a marquee title for them so okay. um because the second one had done so well the first one did amazingly well the second one had done so well so okay. this was very important for universal and they considered it a marquee title so they gave it a little bit more budget than they would normally give it right so um so i did that and the whole okay. time i was an assistant so i would be on set confirming lunches on my blackberry for my boss you know right. and still doing the assistant duties and then running and doing the duties for the movie and wow. um finished the movie and by the time i finished the movie um they came to me and said we love you you did such an amazing job of this movie it's going to do really well for us it tested really well um wow. we'd love to promote you but we are closing shop so what? i ended up starting to look for other jobs because I couldn't be promoted there and right. ended up getting a job at 20th Century Fox as a creative executive, which essentially means a junior executive. You're like a manager level. Okay. At the studio. And while I was there, I worked on movies like Hitman and Alien versus Predator 2 and okay. um, a bunch of Fox movies. I was there for about a year and a half. Um, and, and my duty was just to basically support and service the senior executives, the VPs and okay. work on the movies. And traditionally in at these big studios, there's usually two people on a movie, a, a senior executive and a junior executive. And okay. the junior executive is doing the notes and you know, you're reading lots of scripts because you need to know who's out there. You're reading all the samples because you need to know what new writers are around. Um, okay. You're helping with notes on a screenplay. You're helping with notes on the cut of the movie or whatever the senior executive needs. You're there to kind of inform and help with. Um, okay. You're advocating for new talent. You know, you're tracking okay. new talent. You're going to festivals, things of that nature. Okay. Um, so I was there for about a year and a half and then ended up leaving because it just wasn't a right fit culturally for me. Okay. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't quite love it, you know, and right. 
I left and then didn't think I was going to go to another studio. I thought I was going to go to a smaller, I kind of thought maybe I'm supposed to be at a smaller shop. Maybe right. I'm supposed to be at, like at a production company, you okay. know, and be just more entrepreneurial. And, mm-hmm. um, but to agents, to talent agents, um, who I was friendly with and who were great helps and guidances to me, um, put me up for a job at Warner Brothers, a lateral move, a job to be a CE at Warner Brothers. And okay. I remember saying to both of them, I don't think this is for me. <laughs> right. And they are, right. were both like, you will go meet on this job. <laughs> right. And um, I'm like, okay, like out of respect. And, you know, I'm very curious, you know, Warner Brothers was making movies that I loved. So I really respected what they did and the movies that they made. Um, so I went on the job interviews and ended up getting the job within like a week. I like met everyone very quickly and got the job offer within a week and ultimately decided, you know what? The key important thing is they make movies that I love. And I'm so excited right. to, I would be really happy to work on some of these movies that they made over the past couple of years. Um, and so it's okay to try it. And, you know, I can move on if it doesn't work. Um, and so I started at Warner Brothers and it's been nine years. So you're racing against the clock to wrap three projects. You're prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all the while you are still trying to tackle that mountain of paperwork. Welcome to life as a freelancer. Challenging? Yes. But our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are so worth it. Let's face it, the working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed. To meet this need, My friends at FreshBooks are excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. What are they, you ask? You can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. You can set up online payments with just a couple of clicks and get paid up to four days faster. We love that. You can see when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to the guessing games. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to FreshBooks.com dot com backslash my taught you and enter my taught you and the how did you hear about a section okay i have read glamour magazine featured you in a piece that said it's like look who's running hollywood so after all that you have done in nine years where you are do you feel like that like do you ever look at these pieces written about you and go am i really I don't feel like that at all. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you know, you, you're, I'm in the trenches. You know, I'm trying to figure out what my next movie is. I'm trying to finish the movies I'm in post-production on. I'm trying to finish the movie I'm in production on. Like, I'm trying to make things. And right. I'm also trying to, at this point, be a great mentor and be a great right. colleague and be a great leader, you know, in my company, in my community. So yeah. there's so many things. This world can be and and this career can be very all consuming and so rarely do I have time to kind of stop and 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 take a look and say like 
oh, you're running things. Like, because I'm not running things. <laughs> you right, know, right. I'm proud of right. myself. I, I think right. I've accomplished a lot, you know, but there's so much more to accomplish. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't ever. It's yeah. kind of a shock to the system sometimes. I know. And I even, I told you this too. I read and I was searching high and low for it because I know for a fact I read this, that it said that you were considered one of the highest ranked black women in film. Yes. They, they said that. I'm not like they they said this. <laughs> Yes. And I, I don't know who said that. So I've got to find yeah, that too. I, but, I have to find yeah. it because I was like, I read it and I'm like, oh my God, I know Nyjah. Um <laughs> But I guess fourth I mean, grade. I, yes, fourth grade. I'm like, that has to be, I mean, as a woman of color, I mean, I, I, I know and understand the challenges, but do you ever at any point, um, you know, when you're in rooms or you're doing these things, I, I think when I think of like a studio exec, I think of like, sunglasses all black like you know uh, but it's hard. I don't I don't envision I don't feel like I would see us in the room so like when you started like walking in these rooms how did you feel like did you feel like I am a black woman or did you just come like I came to work no I, th- I, th- I think that it's natural to feel like I felt like I came to work mm-hmm. you know clearly mm-hmm. there's not that many of me in town right clearly right. that's you know I'm used to that. I went to Brown. Like I went to a, a Ivy League that, you know, is, is getting better. But, you right. know, I have been in situations before that have I've not been, you know, I've been the minority in the room or the only one in the room. It's not a new scenario for me. Um, but I think when you have a goal and you have a passion, mm-hmm. you, you get into a situation and you're just. I just was working, you know, when I started at Warner Brothers as a CE, you know, there'd be times I'd be here till midnight doing the work, you know, like it's, it's, it was a, um, fulfilling, exciting and difficult job when I first started off, you know, just because the volume and everything that we were doing, um, and you're just working, um, and you're trying to figure out how to navigate and what's the best version of being an executive and, okay. you know, how do I be in a room with amazingly brilliant colleagues and we're talking story and debating story. How can I, how can I assert my voice, you know, and right, right. never, never really did I think I'm walking through these hallways and I'm, I'm a black woman walking through these hallways. Um, right. now there definitely were situations and have been and probably will continue to be situations where yes um this screenplay we're talking about and i'm uncomfortable with it because it's offensive or Mm -hmm. whatever issue may came come up because i am a black woman and and that's who i am and that's a part of my value is being that voice at the table um that has a very specific point of view um, and comes from a very specific place and has a very specific experience. So there's definitely times where, um, you know, I, I have a certain perspective because I am a black woman. But right. And you speak you feel you have you always felt comfortable speaking up? Yes, I have. Okay. Um, okay. Look, I don't think it's easy for everybody, but I think I just was raised in a way that right. uh, that. I've, I've always been pretty comfortable with my voice. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's all about also learning. And I think this comes with time and with mentorship and with being aware and listening. I think it's also learning how to, how to say, how to articulate things so yes. that people hear them. Right. Um, you know, which is a part of my job. I, I, a part of my job on a day-to-day basis is 
working with directors and working with writers and working with artists, essentially. So a lot of my job is figuring out how do I give this note or how do I give this idea or suggestion or this constructive Mm -hmm. criticism in a way that this artist will hear me, you know, and not, you know, so I think that also is a part of being, um, you know, a person of color in a world that you're, you may be the only one or two. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, what's the way to articulate my point of view? Um, in a way that everyone here can understand it. Right. And, and hear it. Um, and sometimes it's unfortunate that, you know, it's the same diversity conversation of like, right, why do we have right. to be the one, you know, but sometimes <laughs> right. it is what it is and you are the only one. So, right. you know, so, but I think what's great about the environment I'm in right now is that, um, you know, I've been here for nine years. I know everyone really well. They know me really well. I'm always yeah. honest about my point of view and my opinion and my perspective, right. no matter what it's about. It could be about right. race. It could be about anything. So, okay. so if it is about race, people trust me and they respect it because I'm, I am who I am no matter what the issue is. Right. That's it. Yeah. What, okay. Was that your question? Because maybe no, it was, no, no, it was, it was, you got it. You got okay. it. Okay. So my next question is about being invited to be a member of the Academy, AKA the Oscars. Um, how does this happen and what does it mean? Um, it's really amazing. It didn't really yes. didn't really hit me until I just got like my membership card and certificate and it's very oh official. Um, okay. It's it happens because you're nominated by okay. your peers in the business, by one or two of your peers. Okay. And um you know, so I I was nominated and you know, we just went through a whole last couple of years where there's been a lot of talk, a lot of di- dialogue about inclusion. Um, Oscar so hashtag Oscar so white. Yeah. And so, so I think that, you know, we're in a moment in time where the whole business is very self-reflective and, and very much examining like the community and what should we be doing and who is a part of the community and how can we better reflect the world? Um, so, so, you know, but you still, but it's still a very, you know, it's a very kind of strict, interesting process that actually I don't really know that much about. <laughs> I know that you're nominated and okay. you have to get recommendations and people to speak on your behalf. Okay. And I'm really excited to join because I know the Academy is doing a lot of, a lot of in- initiatives and things that I'm really interested in um, as far as mentoring young people and, yes. you know, diversity inclusion and you know recently i spoke to they have a program called academy gold that um okay that is an internship mentorship program for college students um and so i went and did kind of a talk with them and and so it's it's great because i feel like there's so much potential for me to dig in and um, be a part of that community and so that means that you have a vote uh when it for yes okay so okay wow i mean that's incredible that is huge um, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So I have, I'm going to move over into some sort of like career tip questions, uh, for the, the young adults that are listening. Um, I want to help them understand maybe to get things maybe sooner than maybe we did. So if you could tell us two things you've seen entry level, you know, assistants and those just starting out do, that you know may be potentially damaging to their career in the long run, what would they be? 
And if it's not, if you don't have two, one is fine. But like, what are what is something that you've seen or that you know happens in the age of social media? Like, what people, what should people mm-hmm. be doing or not doing? In the as specifically as it pertains to social media, or I don't know, or just, just I'm just saying general. anything. Like back when we started, yeah. like entry level, I think it's just different now. Yeah. Um, and so people starting out, I just think there's just a much like well, you couldn't. People couldn't reach you before, you know, now they, maybe they can, mm-hmm. I don't know. They can tweet you. They, can. they definitely can. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely get lots of people reaching out to me every day. Yes, um, yes, and yes. I try, try, try to, to share and be as accessible as possible. Right. Um, sometimes it's difficult, but, um, so I think one of the things is, you know, that I, that I notice. I, I notice a lot because I did it clearly from my story. Um, it's just the hustle. I do right. think that young people, there's a little bit of an entitlement um, right now because there, this is an age where you have folks, you know, tech startups and folks that yes. are young and 21 and mm-hmm. 19 starting these multi billion dollar companies and this and that <laughs> and the other. And yes. that's amazing. But, um, and so as a result, I feel like, you know, I feel like there's, a generation or two that has kind of grown up and, and is coming of age with this, this um, perspective of, you know, it comes very easily and very early and very fast success. Right. Yes. And uh, I think that, I think it's great because they're so ambitious yes. um, and, and clearly there is so much opportunity out there and there is opportunity to go start your own business and do whatever you want to do, um, which is amazing. But one of the things that I think I struggle with when I see people starting their careers now is seeing, uh, you know, my big question for assistants and for folks who are coming in to meet me with me or get advice is is really like, how much of a hustler is this person? Like, does this person really want it? Um, mm-hmm. And if this person does really want it, does this person have the, you know, have what it takes to, to get it? You know, will they, if you're an intern, will you make, copies of things will you go okay. get coffee and okay. not feel that it's beneath you will you just do whatever it is to be in the room when we're talking mm-hmm. about a screenplay because that's what I did I hustled and I did several internships and things for free while I had a full-time job um, right and, and the other thing is it doesn't come it doesn't come fast and sometimes right. if it does come fast that's not necessarily a good thing you know mm-hmm. I have seen um, you know I have seen folks who have been entry level and young you know kind of rise rise the ranks very quickly and not be prepared for you know so um for me it's kind of like really taking being an entry level person and having entry entry level position that's a blessing especially in hollywood the way our entry level jobs work when you're an assistant usually traditionally when you're an assistant in a creative department in television or film you're really like an apprentice you're on my my assistant's on all of my phone calls he reads everything i read um everything that happens he's he's aware of um i i want his opinion on things uh so so really you it's almost like grad school being an assistant because you are essentially hearing very sensitive conversations and learning the politics the navigation the you know or even just reading a script and having a creative dialogue so um so like to really be able to be entry level and be in those positions and appreciate what it is I feel like I see too often more recently Mm -hmm. people not appreciating that okay yeah that opportunity 
I agree. I agree. I'm right there with you. And that's really why I love to do this podcast is that I have on a lot of different successful people that I know and the stories like there's a there's a common thread of just like hard work and time. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yes. Um, I think I will say the second thing that I think um, I think especially with women and and young people of color, I think also it's just young people in general. It's just having the confidence, like you asked earlier about, like, how do you find your voice, you know? And I, I'm, I'm blessed to have just been raised and, you know, I'm very opinionated and <laughs> right, um, and have opinions on everything. But um, I think also just kind of really being passionate and knowing that no matter what your point of view is valid, because especially in these businesses, these are subjective. This this is a creative business. TV is a creative business. Film is a creative business. These are subjective businesses by nature because it's all about what do people like? What are they drawn to? What are they attracted to? And um, and it's really interesting because it's, it's a little bit daunting because for me in my position, I have to read a screenplay and I have to decide, okay, I love this. This moves me. Okay, it's going to move millions of other people too. And um, so... That's okay, though. It's okay for me to have a very, I have my point of view. I have the things that I'm drawn to. My colleague has a different point of view. He has things that he's drawn to. You know, the colleague across the table has a very different point of view and things that he or she is drawn to. So for a young person coming into um, the workplace, especially in a creative industry like, you know, Hollywood, um, I would say trust, trust your opinion, trust your, trust yourself, trust your point of view. Really, it's about having a point of view and learning how to articulate that point of view. That's okay. I think that's one of the most important things of being in this business. Okay. Um, so and to and to trust that because everybody's different and and honestly you're servicing an audience that's really diverse and really different <laughs> everyone's different in that audience so right um anyway those so are, that's the second thing you're two okay yeah. i think sometimes we and, get- and by the way my, I, I say that those are my two i say that to say because I, I feel like i meet a lot of young people who come in doubting themselves okay i believe yeah all and the time questioning their judgment and questioning their opinion and their point of view and how they feel. And I get a lot of questions about how do you have the confidence to Mm -hmm. pursue this? Or how do you have the confidence? How do you know when it's time to really advocate for something? And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't answer that for you. You know, when you're passionate about something or not. Right. Right. That's so true. And just having the guts to, to be wrong or to, it may not even be wrong. It just may not be on target for whatever. Exactly. My friend always says, "My like, you have no bad ideas. It's just, are they profitable ideas? If Absolutely. we're doing business, you Absolutely. know? Oh, there's things all the time that I read or that I see and I'm drawn to, and I get so excited about it. That's the first filter. Do I get excited about mm-hmm. this? Am I passionate about it? Do I see something in this that I can relate to? The second filter, because I am a Warner Brothers executive, the second filter is, okay, what makes this a Warner Brothers movie? How can I make right. this a Warner? What's the strategy? How would I make this a Warner Brothers movie? Okay. Then there's a third, you know, there's several filters that lead right. me to okay I'm gonna buy the screenplay okay got it and that's just because you you've learned to trust yourself or you probably always have over the years it gets I mean it, it, it's it gets better over the years as you get older <laughs> and have more experience <laughs> right your judgment and point of view becomes more informed by experience that's true you that's know? true so right <laughs> Okay, so I have this question. Sometimes we get into industries because maybe we're fans. You know, we love this actor. We love this film. How um, did you ever have like like some kind of fan moments? Have you ever seen that? And 
how does one manage that? Fan moment, as in I no. meeting an actor that I yes. always loved. Yes. Or... Yes. <laughs> um, I don't really have many fan moments. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I definitely have some geek out moments. I, I guess okay. my fan moments really happen with like there's directors that I've had a Okay. an opportunity to meet and have been really lucky and really blessed to meet that I grew up loving or watching or, you know, love their work. Um, and you know, definitely like I, I've met, I've met Tony Scott. I've met Ridley Scott. You know, I grew up watching their movies. They're iconic to me. But for me, you kind of have to put that aside, the, the fan factor, because okay. I also have to work with that person. So, um, right. So you kind of have to, so I'm trying to think of any time where I, I wasn't able to put it aside. Right. Um, I'm no fun. I can't really. No, it's okay. It's I feel like I would really freak out if I met Sydney Portier. Oh, here's a fan moment. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I kind of regret it. And so this is a lesson to, to everyone listening to seize okay. the moment. Um, I, I probably would freak out at meeting Sydney Portier. And okay. because he's iconic and amazing. And I went to an event um, and pulled up to the valet at the event and out walked Sidney Poitier because he's, you know, waiting for his driver. He's being escorted by someone. And I'm okay. sitting there like, oh, my gosh, it's Sidney Poitier. <laughs> you need to right. get out of this car and you need to introduce uh-huh. yourself. And I did not do it. And so I always regretted that. Um, so. I wish I had done that. And that was a fan moment because I'm usually not, you know, I'm usually not shy and, and will do that if I, if I want to, but, uh, but just froze. <laughs> so oh, I mean, I think that happens. Yes. Yes. I always, I feel like that about Oprah. Like if I ever met Oprah, like I don't, <laughs> I, in my mind, I think I would say something, but in real life, I don't think I would say anything. <laughs> yes, you would. Yeah. Yes, you would. You think yes, so? I think so. Okay, so I have I have my last question for you and then we we answer a listener question. But my last okay. question for you is when you're interviewing, what are you looking for? So I know you were saying like you like hustle, but what is something that sort of uh, excites you or gets, you know, like oh this is this is the one or yeah. I definitely want to have this person on my team. Um so yes, definitely hustle, definitely a dedication, you know, to this, to this business, mm-hmm. to, to their own career. Um, and then, you know, I want people who are passionate about what we do. So yeah. a lot of the questioning is about, you know, what, what do you love? What, what movies do you love? And, mm-hmm. and it's okay to have a difference of like taste. That's totally right. fine. By the way, that's what we're looking for. We want a difference right. of taste around around okay. the room, in, in the room, you know, around the table. But um, so I'm looking for like, what is this person's knowledge of this business? What is this person's knowledge of film? What is this person's knowledge of screenplays? Because um, even if you have never worked in this business, there's ways to learn. There's ways to you could be reading trades every single day. You know, mm-hmm. Variety, Deadline, Hollywood Reporter, and at least get a sense of who are the players, what's going on, what, what right. oh, this announcement just happened, so-and-so and so-and-so is doing this movie, or this is how Comic-Con went, you know? Oh, great, right. these are the movies that are coming out. Oh, this is who won at Sundance. Um, right. You could do that and be in Timbuktu, you know? So, right. um, and come into my office and have a little bit of an awareness of the business that would impress me, right? Um, right. 
I want to know what your taste is. So I want you to tell me, you know, what it would be no good. I, I don't, I would probably not hire you for a job here if you couldn't tell me like a few of your favorite movies of the year or if you don't go see movies. Right. I would like, not. Why, you know, why so, you yeah, why are you here? So, yeah. you know, um, and then there's also ways to be reading screenplays as well. And so really I'm, I'm always asking kind of what do you want to do? Like, who do you love? Is there someone new I should be aware of? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what writers do you love? Um, you know, I also ask about, you know, what, why do you want this job? Why Warner Brothers? Why this? Um, okay. You know, there's something interesting. I feel like there's some people that come in and they're like, I want to be a studio executive. And it annoys me a little bit. Um, yeah. Because... Because for me, it should, it, and by the way, maybe it's just because it wasn't how I was. I just wanted to make movies. So I went right. where they would let me make movies. <laughs> right, right, and, right. And so I think it's okay to want to be a studio executive, but what does that mean? You know, right, like, what do you really right. want to do? <laughs> what do you want your right. days to be? What are you passionate about? Um, right. You know, I, so, so it's a little bit of that. I also ask about your life. You know, I also want to yeah. know how well-rounded you are. You know, I think, mm -hmm. I think being a producer or a studio executive really is about culture, being, being well-read, being right. well-traveled, being exposed to people, um, mm -hmm. you know, being aware of what's going on in the world uh, because it's all about we're, we sift through and process popular culture and stories. So right. it's not necessarily about being in, it gets difficult because this is a very all consuming world, but you know, it also gets very dangerous to be kind of like stuck in a bubble where it's yeah. just films and it's just right. Hollywood. Um, because I don't know how you make good material, you know, you don't make good movies or good content if you're only exposed to your community and your, your world. So, right. So I'm yeah. also very curious about what else do you do? You know, I don't want you to come in and this is it. This is all you right. do. Right. Right. What are your hobbies? What do you love? Right. What else? You know, so, right. Awesome. Okay. So we're getting to the listener question and I just would love your advice. I usually chime in and give some advice too, but um, I've edited, edited the question down a little bit, but she says, um, I'm the director of communications at a healthcare organization. I do PR, graphic design, communications, and I love what I get to do. She kind of explains the company. There's a parent company and so on and so forth. And then she just says, it's a hot, horrible mess. Um, so she says, since I've been here, I've done a ton of good for the branch that I function in. And I've, and I've even been asked to do corporate communication projects. I've been getting recognized for the work that I've been producing and I've been rewarded with even more work. However, I have two dilemmas. So we'll answer the first one. She says, number one, how do I bring up the compensation issue? I'm taking on more work and I want to be compensated for it. And to be clear, the work isn't just a project or two. I've prayed for this, but I need to have the money conversation with my immediate boss. My initial thought is to take on the work and then make a case for more money. But I'm interested in your thoughts. Should I bring it up first or wait until I get in good? What do you think, Nyjah? I think she should take on the work and then bring it up um, yes. after she's started the job. Because I find, and this has happened with me in the past as well, and it's interesting because I've had mentors say this to me as well. A lot of times in, in companies, you do the job Mm -hmm. before you actually get the job yes and that's they okay need to, they need to see that you can do it exactly exactly yeah. it's 
and and it's totally okay because by the way once you have been doing the job it gives you that much more leverage and power mm-hmm. not only externally with your with your boss and your colleagues but also with yourself to right. know your value and to know what you deserve and to be able to then walk into that room and have an honest conversation with your boss so I say I, I think don't be afraid to go ahead and take on that work now don't also don't be afraid to have that conversation when the time is right um, right you know definitely uh have that conversation um and as a matter of fact like it could be worth having a mini version of the conversation now as you are taking on the work saying right i'm really i'm so excited for this opportunity thank you i'm excited to take on these these extra this extra responsibility i'm ready for it um i'm really i, I want to grow in this company you know right. and i want to start keeping really some some good track of of my trajectory with you because right. i want to grow my my right. goal my aspirations at this company are x right and then and take I, on that work and go have a follow-up conversation once right. you've been doing that job right warm it up okay this is her second dilemma Nija. she says this is the big one um there's a person who does something similar to what i do she oversees marketing but has historically managed sales since i've come onto the scene i've really excited the organization i've caught the attention of upper management and that hasn't escaped her notice since she's not creative i'm a writer designer and strategic communicator she's latched on to me or my talents i've done some really uh, exciting work that for the organization I represent. Okay. Recently, she made a power move and formed a committee to do strategic communications for the parent company. She asked me to participate on the committee. This is a strategic move on her part to stay relevant and to remain a part of the marketing conversation that takes place in the broader organization. Here's my question, my leak. How should I maneuver this? If I participate, she runs the show, but I do the work. If I don't participate, then I miss out on the opportunity. I'm so curious to know what you would do in this situation. It's tricky, right? It's really tricky. And she she was saying that this lady was kind of being a little shady to her in the beginning when she started, but then when she realized she was a rising star, she was then willing to work with her. So uh, I don't, okay, I will will kick off my thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. I feel like she's saying, okay, this woman is making power moves. These are strategic moves. And I just think that um, they may or may not. I, I don't know that I would call it a power move or a strategic move. It's like, People are out here playing games and and she's trying to see who's not going to be trying to secure their job. So, I mean, I think it's kind of like welcome to the game and you have to figure out um, how you're going to do it. And I think you should never you should always participate. You know what I mean? I don't know. That's just how I feel. It's like get in there, participate, because you always see who's shining like no one ever. There's never you're never going to be constantly doing the work and no one's going to not notice. That's how I used to feel. I'm like when I was in situations and I'm on teams um, and I know that I'm doing the, the, the best work I have always gotten recognized, promoted or hired away. I, I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I would always participate. Yeah. Um, and I think that people watch who you don't know yep. are watching. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, be a team player, participate, do everything that you can, everything that you can, the best mm-hmm. of your ability. Um, and you know be a part of the team i think i think people always you you will stand out um and that's always a good thing it also shows leadership yes you know it's not being a leader doesn't necessarily mean you have to run the show so Mm -hmm. i think you know being a team player going and doing something standing out in that group being a part of this thing even though you don't have the you're not running the show 
could right. also be seen as this is a leader at the company. You know, yes. she's willing to go and do this thing. Right. Awesome. Even yeah. though it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean obvious, direct um, right. reward. Right, right. I agree with you. Um, so, Nyjah, we are at the end. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, so much for doing this with me. And I know so that. So happy to do it. Yes, it's just a different perspective. And I know that my listeners will love this. Um Thank you, thank you, and I am going to... Long way from fourth grade, girl. Long way from fourth grade.